This is episode number 119 with Armin Zarstedt. Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network. Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. What does it actually mean to have an end-to-end understanding of your supply chain? At its core, it's all about seeing all the moving parts of your supply chain from the origin of the raw materials that go into your products to where your final products are delivered, right? Or is that just an overly simplified definition? Having a true understanding of your end-to-end supply chain requires a lot more. It requires having a wider commercial understanding of your business, your supplier's business, and the markets in which they operate. Only then can you begin to build the resilience that your supply chain needs to deal with the next Fukushima nuclear accident or the next COVID. Now in this episode, I'm lucky to be joined by a person who has dedicated 37 years to the supply chain profession and dealt with Fukushima, COVID, and a bunch of other disruptions we've seen over the last three decades. My guest is Armin Zarstedt, who is the former Vice President of Global Supply Chain at Intel Corporation. Armin specializes in front-end and back-end manufacturing, factory planning and performance management, customer logistics, end-to-end supply chain management, outsourced manufacturing, and global leadership. He's going to be sharing with us his views on how the priorities of the modern-day supply chain executive have significantly evolved. This is going to be a great talk, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And Armin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, hello, and thanks for having me. So I've got a lot of questions. You've got you've had a vast experience across so many different industries. You know, you've you've, you've been you've been uh, you've been all over the place, really. So I want I want to ask you some questions about uh, your experience in terms of how do you think the industry has changed since you got started. So since I got started, it's more than thirty years ago, of which uh, around about twenty years I spent directly in the uh, supply chain area. And when I started uh, with all these uh, with all these uh, jobs, supply chain the word supply chain was not really used very often. They always called it logistics, mm. and it was focused on uh, pure logistics like transport and like warehousing. Order management in a uh, in an IT way, in a mechanical way, order management. Uh, but uh, what we talk today about end to end supply chain, this was not usual. 20, 25 years ago. Uh, what has changed until today is we ha- must have much more understanding uh, for all the demand and supply topics for the customer understanding. We need supplier understanding. We need market understanding. Um, and we have to put all these understandings together to have an overall view about what is really needed and what I can supply. Uh, I must not just believe what a supplier is telling me. I must understand his business situation. I must not just believe what a customer is telling me or what my marketing is telling me. I must understand the market and I must assess and I must judge uh, these numbers by myself, in particular in difficult times. Uh, Because when times are uh, tight, customers and marketings tend to Uh, over-request the demand to be on the safe side, at least they believe. Suppliers uh, are very careful to tell you their real capacities because they also want to be on the safe side. 
you have to find a way to dig into it and to make your own assessment and to have your own supplier market understanding and have your own customer market understanding. This is uh, what I would understand under end-to-end -end supply chain. This is a typical thing which has, from my point of view, changed over the last 10 years coming from logistics to a real end-to-end -end supply chain. So I think, I think if I interpret it correctly, what you're saying is that the supply chain executive of today and tomorrow needs to have a wider commercial understanding and an overall business understanding of their own business uh, to be able to make decisions that are not just solely based on numbers on a spreadsheet, you know, or, or numbers on a piece of paper. Yes, exactly, exactly right what you said, Maria. Uh, the truth is not coming out of an Excel sheet. The truth is not coming out of a number crunching machine. The truth is coming from your own understanding of the business situation on the two ends of the supply chain, of course, folded with your own capabilities. Do, do you know, Armin, I think that that leads me to, to another point, which is the over-reliance on technology uh, and the evolution of the supply chain profession. What I mean by that is to expand on this point a little bit more. If we are over-reliant on, say, AI and machine learning or these new fancy, amazing technology that's out there, then you remove to some degree the commercial business acumen part of the supply chain role. You've got to be able to, to um, be able to think beyond the numbers that a computer is punching out to you. This is exactly what I mean. So don't get me wrong, please. Uh, a very intelligent IT system, an AI mm -hmm. uh, system is very helpful and very important. Yes. But it's not delivering the truth. It's helping you to develop the truth. The truth, please quote it quote. Uh, you must have understanding of the business and the commercial part, and you must understand your suppliers and you must understand your customers. And then any kind of IT machine will help you to develop this understanding. There is no doubt, but it will not deliver the understanding. And so, I so, so what, what, sorry, but so what kind of skill sets do you think are needed, you know, today, skill sets for the professional in supply chain? You must understand, you must, of course, understand the capabilities of IT systems that yes. you know where are the limits. What can an IT system deliver to you and where are the limits of this IT system? In addition, you must have the capability to understand markets, to understand customers, to understand customer behaviors. And you must also be able to understand your own supply chain in your own company, depending on the industry. In my special case, it's microelectronics, but there are a lot of... Uh, different industries with other supply chains. You must understand how the pieces of the supply chain in your own company work. Otherwise, the understanding of the customer and the understanding of the supplier also does not help. This is what I understand under end-to-end -end supply chain understanding. Well, you know, so speaking about the end-to-end -end supply chain, it's something that is just all over the place. Everyone's been talking about getting visibility over the end-to-end -end supply chain. Um, and, uh, you know, but does that really, do you think that professionals are really embracing what that truly means? And then maybe can you help us define what you see as getting an understanding of the end-to-end -end supply chain? Yeah, that's a good question. So first of all, I think nobody in the supply chain can generate, can generate miracles. Mm -hmm. This does not work, but you can try to come close to it. Mm -hmm. uh, working with your suppliers and working with the suppliers of your suppliers 
working yeah. with your customers, working with the customers of your customers. By the way, with your customers and with your which your suppliers don't really like if you go beyond their uh, limits, but you better understand what's going on there. And if you if you put all these things together, you get a picture about the, the possibilities which you have. You get a picture which allow you to assess their statements. And I think this is important. You have to make yourself able to assess the statements of the customer markets the customers and their markets and to assess the statements of your suppliers and their markets and their suppliers. And this brings you closer uh, to, again, quote, unquote, the truth, where 100% truth also never exists. Of course not. Someone once told me that it, the idea is to go from your customer and walk backwards, you know, all the way, all the way back, walk it entirely backwards to your suppliers, your suppliers' suppliers, uh, the whole the whole thing, and I think taking it further from what you said, which is understand the means, the motivation, the uh, uh, I guess the, the relationships, everything there sounds to me like a lot of the skill set that is needed. Or and surely I'm sure this has evolved significantly since you started out in your career. The kind of skill sets needed are leadership, cultural mindset. Yes. Um, business acumen, commercial overarching commercial acumen, all of those things. And economics, understanding of economics, relationships. Relationships. You need to understand the relationships. Uh, you need to have relationships. Mm -hmm. And you need to have relationships. Let's stay on the supplier side in this case. You need relationships to your supplier, not only on one level. It's not that you say, okay, I'm a VP. I talk only to the VP of this company. Or I'm a uh, operations specialist. I talk only to the operations specialist of this company. You have to try to be connected to uh, several levels of your suppliers. In the ideal case, you are connected to the C-levels as well as to the operational levels. Why? The operational levels know what's going on, while the, what's going on in detail, while the C-levels, they steer the company. So mm. from none of these levels, you will get one and only these informations which you like to have. So I strongly recommend, and this is based on my experience, you have to drive yourself and you have to drive your organization to be connected to as much as possible people of your supplier. And in addition, if you look further, as you just mentioned, uh, uphill, uh, so the suppliers of the suppliers, this becomes even more difficult. Of course, yeah. you need also the help of your supplier to connect to the supplier, suppliers, and so on. What I found, for example, in the Fukushima crisis, I had a very, you can call it nice, or you can call it terrible ex uh, uh, example. Both is true, both words are true. Uh, we were happy that we had for a special product, a so-called multi-sourcing. We mm -hmm. spent a lot of efforts to have two suppliers who manufactured the same product for us. And then the Fukushima crisis came up and we wondered about that one of the suppliers who was not sitting in Japan also could not deliver anymore or stop delivering or stop con mm -hmm. uh, confirming your orders. And then we digged into it and looked for their suppliers and we found they were even more multi-sourced. So very right. difficult to understand why there is a problem. But after we, achieved, after we reached the 
tier four level, we found that all of these manufacturing suppliers and these uh, material suppliers to the manufacturing suppliers at the end of the day, they all got one single material from one and only supplier who was located anywhere between Tokyo and Fukushima. And he stopped to deliver because he couldn't work anymore. Uh, this is extremely exhausting to dig into this. And you need also your suppliers help. You have to convince your suppliers that they also make their, um, their upstream uh, supply chain uh, transparent for themselves mm -hmm. and then for you. It costs you energy, it costs you resources. It's, as I mentioned, exhausting. But you have to work into this direction if you want to be prepared for uh, for events like we had 10 years ago in do, Japan. Do, do, do you know what Armin, and I appreciate you sharing me sharing that story with me because obviously, you know, the you know, the the, the Fukushima disaster was, I think, pretty significant uh, and uh, started to pave the way for the kind of era of disruption that we're in right now, which is on a global scale. Um, but you know what? I, to me, the word resilience is just one of those big buzzwords that's out there that everyone's chasing. But I don't know if anybody is, or if a lot of people are willing to put in the hard work behind building resilience and transparency. Because if you're going to build resilience, you have to do that hard work of going down to your first, second, third, fourth, tenth tier of suppliers and starting to figure out what could go wrong. And I, you know, my question to you was going to be before you started telling me about the Fukushima disaster was, you make it sound so easy. Why do you think most companies don't do it? What's the impediment? What's the challenge to, to having this kind of mindset or working practice within your business to build that kind of visibility and then therefore resilience? So first of all, because you said it sounds easy, it is not easy. It's mm. a hell of work and you need resources. You need yeah. a lot of resources and you need experienced and well-educated resources. At this in times where you have the impression you don't have any problem because you have mm. to be prepared. And second, the, what I, the, the example which I told you with this one material, this is one material which we found out. But yeah. if you have a complex product, you have a lot of parallel supply chains for a lot of different materials. So this is not easy and this is very, very difficult to find out. Even if everybody helps and supports, it's a very, very complex system. That's the reason why I say there is no way to generate a miracle. This doesn't work. Mm. And there is no way to generate the 100.0% truth, but you have to come closer to it. People ref refrain from spending all these efforts because even in normal times, they have a lot of work to do and they have to spend a lot of energy to get their demand supply match done, uh, even without problems. And now you tell them, excuse me, now you tell them. And in addition, you have to prepare. For some unknown future. Yeah, for some unknown. Which might come in the future. And since you don't know whether you have another Fukushima or whether you have uh, the Suez Canal obstruction or whether you have this or whether you have that, you have no idea. And to prepare for all options is extremely difficult and exhausting. So you have to try it's, to it's, find it's, some it, systematics, yeah. some systematics, and maybe you have also to focus on your key products. Uh, you have to decide this on yourself, depending on the business which you are running. 
but I uh, believe the main reason and the, 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 the answer to your question is people are already busy with their normal daily life and now they yeah. should things for the case if this might be the big problem. It's not because people don't want it, but they are already busy. But the problem is when the, uh, when the, uh, when the, the event happens, you're not prepared. It's, it's the classic example, isn't it? We know that what the right things to do are. We know what they are, you know, but we don't have the time, the resources, desire to, to do them. It's kind of like, you know, that you have to exercise a lot to uh, stay healthy, but it's, you know, who has the time when, when you're a busy executive to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to get your exercise in because that's exhausting. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Do you think there's, there's a, um, I don't know, there's a, possibility or this it should be explored as a possibility to perhaps carve out a different resource a different department within your supply chain for building resilience for you know for yeah um so what we have always done is we tried to uh, define some fundamentals do we have multi-sourcing do we have multi-sourcing for the different products for which product we have for which product we do not have um, is this multi-sourcing uh, diversified about, over geography uh, only on the first level? And what would it mean? What would it mean to qualify products for another parallel supply chain? What's, what could be a parallel supply chain? So this is an exercise. I think this is a must to do. Whether you will be able to dig into all the products to understand up to tier four or tier N level may be difficult, but you need at least to prepare yourself to have the right questions on hand and to have the right uh, counterparts in your suppliers, the right relationships. And you have at least to educate or to push, push is the better word, your suppliers that they do the same. Some of them do automatically, some of them you have really to push because they have the same problems as you have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the thinking is important, the mindset is important, and some fundamental permanent clarifications are also important. So let's go back to 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Let's go back 30 years ago when you got started. You know, how much of a percentage was spent on building resilience of your time and thinking about the potential scenarios of disruption? You know where I'm going with this. You know, versus what do you think the future is going to look like for the supply chain executive in terms of building resilience into their everyday practices? So, um, and transparency, you know, quite, quite difficult to answer in, in terms of numbers and in terms of. I, I don't think we need exact, but you know I, what I mean? know, I know, I know. Um, I would say when I go 10 or 20 years back, it was, it's not that there was no thinking about resilience. This would be wrong. That there yes. was zero, no, that's not true. But I would say maybe five percent of my time, of the time of me or my peers, was used into this. And the famous buzzword was multi-sourcing mm -hmm. on the first level. Um, of course, to to activate a multi-sourcing on the first level it takes you more than five percent of your time. But to think about resilience strategy, I would say five percent or so, not so much. If I look today. If I look back the last five years, now without the corona crisis and so on, this was already, I would say, 10, 15% as a strategic topic. 
uh, where are our multi-sourcings and make sure that the multi-sourcings are geographically diversified and make also sure that um, ownership-wise, the multi-sourcing is linked to different companies. This can also very often happen that you have different companies as a source and at the end of the day, they are belonging to the same holding. It's also a critical topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I would say 10 to 15%. And now, of course, in the crisis times, since I would say one and a half years, the time which people spent into this increased drastically. If you sum up, if you sum up the operational activities to get supplies executed and the more strategic uh, uh, approach, I would say this goes currently beyond 50, 50%. Yeah. But the question and, is how sustainable this will be after the crisis. That's exactly what I was going to ask you next. Have we learned our lesson? Have we learned our lesson or are we going to go back to the old ways of cost-driven, financially driven metrics, supply chains? Um, or are we going to try to understand that this is a new era and we need to build something different? And that includes everything from the way that we think, the way that we act, what's important, what's priority? Very valid question. Um, before I come to the precise question, let me share with you another experience which goes exactly in this direction. This is from, I would say, 12 years ago after the bank crash. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a lot of personal experience with the automotive industry here in Europe. And uh, they had a lot of shortages because the behavior was uh, they believe they get their material within a few days and they have the philosophy of a just-in-time supply chain business model. Mm -hmm. And semiconductors, in my case, semiconductors were delivered always out of inventory. So they changed their forecast and the material which they needed was immediately adapted to this. In the, after the bank crash in the 2008-2009 crisis, uh, they reduced their forecast because they saw the number of sold cars is going down. They reduced their forecast as a consequence their suppliers reduced their manufacturing for them and partially deviated the capacity to other markets, to other industries. Their forecasts went up again and there was no material anymore. The inventory was depleted and uh, they had to learn, they had to learn that to manufacture a semiconductor takes you a half a year plus minus. Mm -hmm. As a consequence, all, the, all these people with whom I collaborated decided we will build a department for semiconductor supply chain understanding and management. This, and yeah. then the crisis was over and everything was running fine. Now in uh, 2020, 2020, uh, 2021 now, we have a similar situation again. People believe the market will go down forecasts are reduced. Of course, the manufacturers for microelectronics, for semiconductors, reduce their manufacturing for the automotive industry because forecasts are going down. They sell the capacity to other industries. In this case now, for example, to the communication industry mm -hmm. because we have all built up our home offices. So forecasts of the automotive industry go up again much faster than expected. The result is we have a shortage. We yeah. have a huge shortage. In the meanwhile, this shortage, you can read everywhere in the press. It's a brutal shortage. Yes. So to come back to your question, do we learn our lesson? Hmm. I'm not so sure. 
Mm. I'm not so sure. I'm, I think the crisis now is big enough that we will learn some lesson. I'm convinced we will learn some lesson. People will well, learn it's, it's not but just this crisis. Could... It's not, sorry if I interrupt you, but it's not just this crisis. I think that there's, an, there's a bunch of things coming. We've got the climate crisis happening. We've yes. got COVID. These are very massive macro forces that are having an impact across the globe. So, um, you know, I think that this is not going to go away, right? So there are, you know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about COVID and we've talked a lot about resilience, but there's also building a supply chain that is sustainable, that, it, that that's not going to go away either. So, you know, do you think that that will yes. fundamentally change the profession? Uh, there's one, sorry, Maria, one more topic which comes now. The entire Corona crisis, of course, also accelerated the digitization process yes. as such. As such. We started with communication for our home offices, but the entire digitization uh, became an, a kicker, an acceleration mm -hmm. kicker. Yeah. So all these things come. So what I believe, what I believe, there will be a certain learning. Because I'm, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. confident. I'm confident. Mm -hmm. Will there be enough learning, and will people take enough consequences? I see a risk. I, I don't want to say no. But, of course, uh, I see you're risk. hopeful. I see a risk that uh, the consequences which are taken on a long run, although when the crisis is over at some point in time, uh, that uh, all these measures are not enough. And uh, what I can only hope that through events like the summit, like this podcast, you will interview a lot of other people who at least hopefully will tell you similar things, that the awareness for these topics are sharpened. And that uh, some learning will take out of this crisis and not just the learning, but also taking the consequences out of this learning. This is my big hope. And I think some of it, yes, I have the fear not enough. I hope I'm wrong, but we will see. Yeah, you know what, I, I'll, I'll have to agree with you. I think every conversation I have, certainly on this podcast and with people that attend our events, um, I think generally people are hopeful that there is enough conversation, enough knowledge sharing, and enough collaboration of the right types of, you know, change agents, let's call it, the right types of change agents that can help propel the industry forward to make the right changes now. Uh, Armin, that's, that is all the time we've got, unfortunately. I know that we could continue talking, and I hope to talk to you uh, uh, further in, uh, in other podcasts, but I want to thank you for being here and for sharing your experiences with us. Again, thanks a lot for having me. It was a pleasure. And I hope I contribute a little bit to the overall understanding, which you can easily put together with all the feedbacks from all my friends in the industry. Thank you so much. And thank you for uh, tuning in. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.